0: howdy y'all this is the final episode of the second season of moneyless society it's a conversation recorded instigated by our very good friend and team member collaborator nathan jones who runs the kindness rebellion podcast a show that you should absolutely check in a show about growing our emotional intelligence to respond to an insane crazy world to truly revolutionize how we relate to each other how we listen how we are amongst each other nathan had us come on his show for the capstone episode of his season and asked us questions about this moneyless society that he has been a true believer of the whole time. This is a fantastic conversation. We go deep into the material in Matthew Holton, our wonderful founder's book, which I'm going to tell you right now, stop, pause. I'll even give you a beat of silence so you can go and get the book, get the book. Matt has worked on this book for five fucking years, okay? You can spend a few dollars to get this book and go on the, the wonderful, wild ride, of the journey that it is, to deconstruct our world and put it back together into that shape. It's a great thing to give to people in your life to say, hey, look, here are our answers. Here's the problem. Explain in a clean, simple, efficient, and just damn fun-to-read way and there are solutions in it. It's, it's a beautiful antidote to a sick, sick world and I hope that this conversation will stoke you to want to learn more and go deeper and understand these concepts ideas and visions so much so that like nathan you go beyond being a listener and start being a participant a creator and say how can we come together and make this world
1: the old world is ending
2: and we have the opportunity to rethink everything
1: this is a show about the systemic problems in our world
2: and the real solutions we have today
0: To transition from an apocalyptic storm of war,
1: scarcity, and ecological collapse. To create an abundantly advanced, collaborative society.
2: That sustains all life.
1: You may think it's an impossible dream.
2: But the alternative is an inevitable nightmare.
1: We're your hosts, Matt Holton,
2: Amanda Smith,
1: and Zachary Marlow. And together,
2: we can move past this economic absurdity
0: and come together to actualize our collective potential.
1: To create something completely new. We are Monolith Society.
3: Welcome one, welcome all. Thank you guys so much for coming on to the Kindness Rebellion. This is this is honestly an awesome opportunity for me to have all three of you here on the podcast with me. Um, I just, I got to say that I I love the Moneyless Society. I love the work that you all have been doing. Um, I love the message and the vision, and I'm really excited to bring you all onto the podcast. I've had Marlo on previously, and we had an awesome conversation um, just kind of about our own personal history with, uh, you know, kind of becoming radicalized and, you uh, uh, learning all of the the systemic bullshit that's been going on and how we've kind of coped with it and it was uh, one of my favorite episodes and I'm I'm so happy to have uh, Matt and Amanda on here as well to uh, to go over just all of the all of the nitty gritty of a moneyless society I think one of the main things that I want to really cover today is just kind of the the backlash that I tend to hear from people when I when I talk about a moneyless society because I'm very I'm very passionate about it and I think that there's there's a, a lot of, uh, there's a beautiful vision there. And there's a many directions that we could all go with it. And so I'm excited to hear directly from you all, um, kind of like what a Moneyless Society means to you. So um, let's just go ahead and uh, we'll start in order from my cameras. <laughs> we'll
1: start with Matt. What is, what is
3: a Moneyless Society to you?
1: Yeah, sure. So I mean, when I started the whole Moneyless Society website and everything, it was kind of like I was really just exploring that idea. It wasn't like I'd really had figured it all out. And I, and I really still don't profess to have figured it all out, you know. Um, to me, I mean, what the, the direction that we're really headed here is a society that, you know, there's no currency. Uh, and we also try to eliminate the need for trade. And, and that means also like trading your time, your labor, uh, in order to survive on a daily basis for, you know, necessities or thing that sh- things that you need to, just to live. Um, Mm -hmm. And and in its place, we we're trying to develop a system that would, you know, just bring about abundance through technology and cooperation, really, just kind of heading the other direction from the competitive model that we have in place now. And, uh, you know, instead of working within the profit model to where everybody's kind of keeping, you know, profit for themselves, where it's more of a sharing equitable model, and um, and eventually in the long term, we think those types of models would be able to uh, just essentially work better than the profit system at providing, you know, what everybody needs. Um, mm. You know, and there's a lot of details in there that are up for discussion and up for grabs. I mean, just kind of depending on where you are, the culture, the um, Uh, you know, the access to just local resources, things like that, geography, you know, the solutions are going to be different, you know, depending on, you know, where people are, and, uh, you know, their cultures and things like that as well. So there's a lot to consider, you know, when talking about that. Um, I think those ideas are definitely possible. But, you know, there's a lot up you know, up for discussion as well. So I I like to emphasize that point and say, you know, we don't have like some dogmatic system that we're trying to preach to everybody. We're really just trying to kind of have open conversations about this stuff and, you know, find patterns and things that work, you know, and then combine those patterns and things that work together in ways that we could create, you know, a new society that essentially works better. So that's kind of the foundation of it. And we explore those ideas a lot, you know, on our podcast and, in, and the book uh, that's coming out soon. So um, yeah, there's tons to talk about. It's a huge subject, just goes on and on and on with, you know, many different facets and, and aspects to it. And um, and it's really interesting. We, we enjoy talking about it and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's fun and really happy that we get to do, you know, this work on, on a daily basis too. It's, it's It's interesting and exciting. So, and thanks for awesome. having us on. Of course. Yeah, I love that. Um, Marlo.
0: Amanda, you go first. I'm still, uh, I'm still like, uh, recouping from the, uh, moneyed world that we live in Mm. today. So I'm, I'm getting warmed up a little bit. You called me at a rare, at a rare downturn. Uh, my mental health, the last several weeks or months or through this season and through this process of finishing this movie and everything has just been, it's either, it's like either a a downward spiral or a very slow roller coaster. So, um, (laughs) I'm, I'm having I'm having more and more trouble um, maintaining that uh, revolutionary optimism and zeal and enthusiasm. I'll I'll go ahead and make this my turn. I'll go ahead because we don't live in a moneyless society. You know, we do not, Mm -hmm. we do not. We live in a society where every fucking thing costs money. Everything you need to live costs money. I don't have healthcare. I don't have the ability to uh, better myself, you know, to be even to be a better product, for the capitalist system like i would be so much better of a little worker bee if i had the basic food water housing shelter all of those things taken care of i would be a better cog in the machine you know like i I think about like uh the ccp's relationship to their people as uh, you know as related to the american system is that they just kind of recognize the importance of maintaining their farm equipment you know at the end of the day everyone in the world just about, unless you're in a very isolated scenario, living as a hunter-gatherer, or um, you're in a tribe somewhere in the the Amazon that's being burned away, uh, you live in a moneyed system, and you know we we live under this one world totalitarian government that all the conservatives and every conspiracy theorist is terrified is going to come, it's going to come creeping up on us like oh what if what if one world government one system took over the whole world well it's like you go to you know Mexico and you change in your you know, uh, resource tokens for a different kind of resource tokens. And people are still working the same jobs, living in the same boxes, existing in the same framework. And that's the structure that this monetary system has just very naturally produced in us. This trading system, this market system, this way of, you know, putting a price tag on every single fucking thing that exists. And, you know, more and more um, dimensions of life have been invaded by that price tag. Where even things like love and companionship and connection and, you know, all of these things have been commodified and turned into things to sell. And, you know, we operate in the social media spaces a lot. And the microcosm of that is, you know, the like, which is it's just, you know, a perfect little macro microcosm of the money system that it's meaningless. It has no connection to reality, but it totally dictates how cool and popular and how seen and how heard and how able to connect to other people you are. So a moneyless society for me right now is an escape pod from this horrible existence. It's it's an attempt to build not just some idealized utopia, but to actually coalesce some sort of collective effort from the people that understand that these systems and structures and, you know, uh, cultures are failing us to come together and create something that works To, to do the fucking obvious, which is to come together with other people with like values. Pull our resources, and create a shelter from this shit fiery shitstorm of cost and debt and, you know, just this continually eroding process that's just weathering us down to nothing, down to nubs, to where we can't even get on the mic and and deliver a fiery sermon about a visionary world that could be, you know?
3: <laughs> Seems pretty <laughs> fiery to me right now, man. <laughs> a, moneyless
0: society, a moneyless society is, uh, well, I, I learn by failing, so I should hope I keep failing. Um, a moneyless Smart. society is—it's just I was just taking a whiz a minute ago, and I was thinking, like, man, how stupid it is that we're just embroiled in all these discussions about policy and tweaking this and changing that and all these ways of amending the system. And you got the MMT people that are like, yeah, money's bullshit—you can make as much as you want, make as much of it as you want—but we still need it, you know. It's like, oh, we can't push people too far, you know. When it's just like—it's just such a logical leap for people to actually go into the mire of understanding this stupid thing that existed dictates our lives when you know i think about a relationship or an interaction i had with someone at a gas station a couple of months ago where i was just really high and i was just like hey i can't figure out the money thing can you just tell me what to do um like i was trying to tap my card, i was trying to do the thing and she was just like blah, blah blah and i said something like um yeah money is the fucking devil you know and she said i don't know who invented it but they're the devil you know and <laughs> it was just like people get it that this is a stupid thing it's unnecessary that we have to go through all these quirks and trips and you know, doodly-da, just so that we can exist. And it's really silly and stupid. And I think most people at their at their heart kind of get that this is the simplest way, that the simplest solution, not the complex solution of, you know, nanomachines and AI and collaborative design systems and all these things that come out of that intention of a moneyless society. But, you know, we can go back to the um, second episode of our show with the beautiful com- un- unhoused community in Echo Park where they didn't have, you know, automation, but they didn't use money. They found out that, okay, when we pay people to do stuff, they, it fucks up. It it jacks their motivation. It makes it so that they only want to do it because they're getting paid for it. You know, it's like, if you were thinking about how would you recreate the world, desert island scenario, would you bring money with you? Would you bring fucking debt? Would you bring a pile of cash? No, you absolutely would not. Or it would inevitably end up right back in the same. Well, scenario. Elon Musk
2: wants to do that with Mars, so don't don't be so quick to say that um, most people wouldn't.
0: Re- <laughs> he wants to recreate the exact same scenario. His version yeah. of futurism is: you have a ten-story building, make it a hundred stories. You know, you have a shopping <laughs> mall that's you know a, a half a mile long, make it a hundred miles long. You know, just fuck it. The Keep guy going who reinvented the that's-
2: car. What do you expect? You know,
0: he's a genius. He didn't well, even reinvent the car. He just reinvented, you know, the car Thomas industry. Edison, you know, yeah. He reinvented the the yeah. hustling bullshit artist that gets rich off of this crazy speculative woo woo that we call money, that we call the stock market. You know, whose mm. w- wealth quadrupled in a pandemic where everyone else in the world is losing everything. That's what money mm. gets us, you know. And I just think rather than just immediately diving into all the ins and outs of what it, how it could work and you know how we can do this and how we motivate people and all this stuff i just i really try to inspire people or encourage people to go into their own mind and ask those questions themselves and be fearless to actually imagine something to like think about a really better world is there money there do you think like in the perfect world do you when you go to get food do you have to give somebody a, a token that you had to work hours of your life for fuck no absolutely not so
3: yeah, awesome. That's a moneyless. Before stuff. before I give Amanda a chance, I just want to speak to the fact that like I I love that you pointed out how it's it's really it's clear that this system that we are currently this monetary system that we live in is it's not designed money, for money, people. Money, money, it's money. it's very anti-human. It's very it's there to it's more to control us than it is to help us. And so I think that's something we'll definitely have to dive into. But Amanda, please please tell me. Uh, uh, what what a moneyless society means to you?
2: Thank you. Will do. Um, and and I agree with you. Obviously, it's very anti life. Uh, and before I go into my answer, I just want to tag uh, on something that Marlo said in the very end. There, um, you know, do you know asking people to ask themselves to go deep inward and say. Does, is money necessary? Would I carry it forward with me into a new uh, era if I didn't have to, you know, so to speak? And it reminds me of a scene that I've seen I, uh, on on TV in a, in a miniseries, or not a miniseries, actually, I guess it's, it's uh, what, what is it? The Walking Dead. I'm sorry, I'm grasping at straws here today, long week. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I don't watch a lot of TV, but every now and then I'll pop in and watch an episode or two of that show. And I thought that it, it was all too awesome and it was certainly very gratifying. To hear this in their dialogue, um, the main characters uh, they they woke up in some kind of community that had been built, uh, you know, out of the motivation to survive and fight the the beasts, The beasts being the zombies, obviously. And uh, they woke up in this in this community, and they learned very quickly that they were going to have to earn their keep, that they had brought money with them into this community like the, the people that organized it they turned it right back into what the world was before like even after going through a zombie apocalypse apocalypse people couldn't seem to let go of the notion that money is needed or exchange is needed or scarcity is needed or a hierarchy is needed it was mind-blowing but the thing that I really enjoyed the most was when the main characters had a uh, a quick, a quick exchange, uh, basically saying, "Wow, I never thought that we would have to pay for uh, rent and food a- after the zombies came." You know, like I can't believe we're having to do this again. Like, what the fuck? Um, uh, but, anyways, just to stay relevant uh, and to bullet down very much for me, a moneyless society is simply the opportunity for human, uh, for humankind to to stop being st- stagnant and have that evolution that that, uh, some would argue is well overdue um, and move forward into an era, uh, transition out of this society and this system that is obviously indoctrinating us to uh, build upon a destructive nature um, and transition instead to a society that inherently uh, motivates us and supports us and, and makes us capable of being more social, creative and benevolent in our nature. Uh, that's the thing that is the shining light for me when it comes to moneyless society. The fact that inherently in a moneyless world, in a tra- I'm sorry, in a tradeless world, in a place where there's open access versus free, which is something I've been trying to point out a lot. Um, things aren't mm-hmm. free in a moneyless society. There's no contrast to free. There's no price to pay per se. So things are just mm-hmm at your fingertips. Things are open access. And in that kind of uh, world and in that kind of environment, we don't have social structures that are based on arbitrary standards that are based on on classism, sexism, racism. You know, there's no reason in an environment like that to have these arbitrary um, grudges against people and compete with people Because there's no reason to compete things are just available the things you need to meet your basic needs uh, and the things that you want to enjoy to make your life fulfilling and to make you a valuable contributor to your society so that's basically what moneyless society is for me it's just that that opportunity for us to finally evolve and realize our social benevolent and creative potential as a human being
3: Mm, man i love all of that you all, you all touched on some wonderful points that I'm, I'm excited to dive into. But right off the bat, I think one thing that I've, I just keep hearing from each of you is just how this, how this system is not really meant to actually help us, and how, and something that like I kind of think about often, and each of you actually touched on a little bit is how it actually like inhibits us from collaborating in a lot of ways, or it forces us to be more dependent on on the coinage than it is, than we are dependent on each other. Um, even though we are still dependent on each other through the monetary system, it's this weird, like, it's this weird game that's been created for us. And so, um, and, and one of the things that uh, Matt touched on when he was uh, talking about what it meant to him is um, kind of like moving on past trade or like, like, reorienting the way that trade is used within you know an economy or just within a society within like our collaboration and and uh, i wanted to bring that up first because one of the first things i talk like when i'm talking to somebody about a moneyless society uh you know maybe i'll i'll get to them and i'll be like do you actually really think that money's good for us you know that it's you know everybody says it's the root of all evil we know that it's fucked up and it's like at the heart of so many issues and people are like yeah, but it's necessary because what else is there? There's just going to be some trade and barter system that we're going to regress to. So that's kind of my first big question for you guys is, is if we, is during this transition to a moneyless society, how do we avoid um, maybe a feeling of regression towards just a trade and barter system that's essentially money, but with a little bit more complexity to it? Go ahead. Well,
0: so. You could read the uh chapter in david Graeber's book debt the myth of barter and just really smash that to pieces barter is not something that money evolved out of that's you know pure hocus pocus from adam smith and other people like that it's part of the mythology of our economic doctrine people's people did not have those relationships they did not have an earn your keep mentality for the majority of human history and money was introduced uh not in a friendly way, in a very colonial and violent way, as labor markets were smashed into people's lives and they were basically forced to regress into barter after money was introduced. And there's not enough money. You you get people in these relationships of, I'm out for myself. I mean, every time somebody is trading, not just money itself, but trade, I give you this, you give me that, we're done, that's it. We don't have relationships. You're reinforcing this um, sort of uh, ritual where you um, are conditioning and continually reinforcing this notion that we are separate, that your needs and my needs do not converge. I have my life. You have yours. I have my needs. You have yours. You know, instead of seeing, okay, our needs are actually connected because we live in a community and a tribe, which is how people Mm -hmm. lived for the majority of human history. So we did not have money for most of human history. We did not trade for most of human history and even people's that, you know, lived in relative scarcity. Um, they, well, I mean, they they sort of did. You could say that they did, you know, but they lived in the abundance of nature. The nature provides for people. It provides abundantly. I mean, there's there's indigenous peoples living in, you know, sub-Saharan desert climates that eat 3,000 calories a day and work about 10 hours a day, you know. Can you imagine that? that that's the majority of human history. We were not stupid. We were not bumbling around, you know, banging sticks into the caves. You know, we were very smart, you know, intelligent, adaptive. We had technologies and relationships with nature that uh, Newsflash did the work for us because that's what nature is. It's a collaborative living thing. So yeah, the, the barter myth is total horseshit. And um, I think I see a lot of people talking about like, I saw somebody post on their Facebook or something today. Hey, you know, who wants to get a few acres of land, and then you know, uh, trade with each other instead of you know using the corporations. And I think that's a that's a regressive attitude. That's also like carrying forth this attitude of my needs are separate from your needs, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, the earth can't provide for us all we need. You know, you think about the the shift from sort of a, a market, which is like people trading with each other, to a network where you're circulating goods, you know, where things go where they're needed. There's not this this like impetus for like, I gave you a bag of rice, you give me a chicken, that's fucking stupid. That's not how people who lived next to each other, who were neighbors lived forever. You you live in a system of debt, you know, a good, a good kind of debt, an, an indebtedness to each other, which reinforces continually. I need you, you need me. I may not need something from you right now, but I will, because we're in this together.
3: Nice. Yeah, Amanda.
2: If I might piggyback off of what you were saying there in the beginning, Marlo, um, when you talk about uh, civilizations, um, you know, ancient civilizations, as we would refer to them, or civilizations that are non-Western that don't have this perception that, that we are separate and our needs are separate, I think that speaks to the fact that money has dumbed down our emotional intelligence And that is the thing that we're missing here in the Western uh, civilization, especially, is just the empathy and sympathy that's needed to perceive that we are interconnected and that our needs aren't different. I mean, of course they're not different. Look at traffic. Everyone's headed to the same thing to do the same thing so they can get the same thing. We all have to make money to pay our bills to have a roof and have food and take care of our families. We all need the same things. We're not you know, disconnected in any, any form or fashion as we would like to carry on. And uh, so, if I were to respond to the, the question you proposed, I would say that, uh, you know, reprocity based systems are very much what is in need right now and, and what needs to be described in greater detail and pushed farther and harder into social and public um, discussions so that people begin to grasp what it is to leave trade in the rear view and strive to live in a truly communal setting where people do things because that's what makes sense and that's what helps the society to survive and thrive you know and and I, i'm sure matt would agree reciprocity is uh, one one of his um favorite things about the Mayo society am i right
1: yeah yeah definitely and, and um I, I talk about that in my book a bit too and what what i really define it as is um it, like a trade based uh, reciprocal system so like t- trade based reciprocity versus like um systemic reciprocity so where the entire system is really taking care of of everyone and providing an, you know abundance of everything for everybody and and there's and the trade isn't necessary anymore because the system itself you know with all of its workings and with you know society being able to kind of be in direct control of the system at large, you know, as a society, then, you know, there's not really the need for trade anymore. People just pitch in voluntarily where they can, when they can, and um, and essentially the system takes care of everybody in return, you know, and and by that means you're incentivized to keep the system going because you know if the system collapses, then everybody's right, and, and and so there's a lot of incentive, and and there's even incentive to to keep it uh you know progressing as well because it's essentially the same motivator that progress that that motivates people right now. It's positive reinforcement, you know, and but instead of positive reinforcement coming in the form of money, which is just essentially the means to get everything that you need, we just give you everything that you need instead, right through this system of systemic reciprocity in the, in the whole, you know, new economic system that we're trying to develop here. Um, and, and so that's just kind of kind of the basis of it. There's no need for that. You know, I have to go over here and grow rice by myself. No, it's, it's like you and maybe your entire community, you know, has an entire community garden that maybe, I don't know, half a dozen or a dozen people are pitching in to kind of keep going for everybody or more, you know, give, give or take, whatever agreements there are in your community, you know, a region or whatever, you know, it's up for, it's up for discussion, really. And, and all these systems can be maintained by, you know, people roles can be taken on and, and delegated and whatnot. And, you know, that those are the types of systems that we're advocating, you know, trying to create locally within your community, within your workplace. And instead of some, you know, doing some unrelated job that doesn't really have much benefit to, you know, your life or your community, things like that, we advocate trying to get these systems in place as well by forming, you know, cooperative networks or businesses, you know, with these equal ownership models to where people are actually are cooperating and are producing things in their local community, you know. And when these things are equally owned, you know, when there's not some capitalist head at the at the head you know of the entire thing reaping all the profits then people actually do start thinking more in terms of how can we share the benefit from this you know it's not it's not how can i just reap as much profit as possible and go home with as much as i possibly can you start really thinking more in terms of how can everybody in the community really benefit from these systems how can we develop them so they provide the most benefit with the least amount of input you know with the least amount of resources and labor and things like that and it's just mindset of getting into that cooperation you know mode essentially to where people are working together and you know that there's enough for everybody right but it's just kind of it's the purpose it's the it's the leverage point we would call it in systems thinking you're giving the entire system a new purpose essentially you know instead of uh, having the purpose of profit you know, derived from this competitive model, we're having the purpose of abundance, right? And prosperity for everybody. We and and money essentially just exits stage left out of all that because we're really focusing on what we need and what we want at that point. And I think that rings true with a lot of people, you know, when they hear those concepts, they're like, you know, I think we really could do something like that if we put our minds to it. We just don't really have the environment or the right circumstances yet, but you never know. That's that's what we're trying to create here, and you know, in certain circumstances, with networks of people who who actually do want to do these things and and move forward on these types of you know communities and projects and whatnot, because we're definitely not the only ones, you know, there's, there's more and more traction every day for these, for these types of ideas. And, um, and it's, and it's cool. We love, we love hearing that. And um, we get a lot of positive feedback from, from a lot of these things that we're talking about too. So I, I really feel like we're headed in the right direction with all that stuff. So
3: That's awesome. I love that. I love the idea that we can just get on the same page and change the culture, change the mindset from like, let's stop trying to focus on just maximizing our own greed and our own needs or our well-being, if you can even do that under a capitalist system, um, instead changing it to let's maximize everybody's well-being, because then that means I'm going to be included within that. And it's like just that mindset shift can help help people collaborate. And I love what Marla was saying, where you know, the monetary system and the trade system, we've allowed it to drive a wedge in between us and make us believe that our needs are separate, even though our needs are the same. And Marlo, you, you wanted to jump in there. Uh, feel free.
0: I was just going to say that um, in thinking about something as fucking uh, obvious and simple as like a democratized workplace or democracy in general, which we very much do not have, you know, and I think the existence of a system where you are able to uh, use the amount of stuff you have. To turn that into political power and agency and the ability to you know buy media outlets and change the narrative and you know control access to water supplies and reroute roads and all these things that having true capital allows you to do you know it is inherently anti-democratic and i think that Mm -hmm. it scares people to imagine what an actually participatory democratic system would look like i hesitate to even use the word democracy because you know Netanyahu calls uh, Israel a democracy, <laughs> which I don't think the people who were living there before you um, have a say in what's going on, people of Israel, you know, Israeli government. I don't think that's democracy. That doesn't sound like democracy. And representative democracy is not democracy. You know, it never was. It was, there were like conferences when America was being formed, the United States was being formed, and they were like very afraid that democracy would form, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I just thinking about the objections that people have, like, oh well what if what if a few people uh you know were lazy and uh took more than they needed or you uh... mean
3: capitalists
0: (laughs) yeah that's what i was getting great basically a lot of our fears and objections are pure projections of what the existing system is doing so Mm -hmm. i was talking to a friend about this a friend i hadn't seen since like middle school or maybe high school and i was explaining a lot of these things a lot of his objections were i just kept having to say like zoom out brother you were talking about the existing system. You're saying, "Oh, what if technology was used for good?" You know, "Oh, then it would become, it would go haywire, and you know, we would become subservient to it." And no, no, no. You're talking about the existing system that already exists today to the uttermost extent.
3: Mm-hmm. We're
0: talking about a complete change in the programming, and the purpose, and the value system underlying all of these things. You know, so a lot of people's objections, they're just so in the box of their own system, and they're so in the duality of propaganda, you know, really every person in America is, we're, we're some of the most propagandized people on the planet where we turn on our news every day and we see, you know, uh, the anti-democratic actions of Vladimir Putin invading other countries and stealing their sovereignty. And then, you know, you, you just don't see any mention of what the United States is doing, say in Haiti and how, which they've done, you know, like dozens of times over a hundred years. We have smashed the attempts at peoples in our vassal states that we use to extract resources that do not have a say in their own destiny. And when they rise up and try to demand it, as this nation was formed upon, uh, our media will call them a gangs. They, they, they'll call the people a gang and will say, we need to send American and Canadian troops to shut them down because there's this dissonance that we do not live in a democratic, free, participatory equal society and yet we live in this bubble of propaganda that constantly reinforces yes we do yes we do you're we're free you have it the best you're you're you have the you live in the best nation in the world and you have so much opportunity and you know there's so many jobs out there you just got to go and take them you know we just live in this this swamp of bullshit that you know makes it so that people are terrified and in constant fear and loathing of their own system without understanding what it is. And so they, through the magic of propaganda, those fears and hatreds and angers and fears and pains are projected onto the very people, the very movements and motions and policies and changes and other groups of people that are fighting for their interests. That they say the communists are coming or the socialists are coming or, or the anarchy will, will break out, you know? <laughs> it's like. Anarchy will break out. Fuck yeah. That sounds great. A very nuanced, complicated.
2: That's one of my favorite contrasts.
0: Sign me up. Mutual aid and reciprocity. (laughs) Like, Please. anarchy is surprisingly anarchy very America. soft mm-hmm. and
2: loving and i just mm-hmm. love how hollywood always portrays it as this you know burning chaos that's going to consume society and burn everything to the ground when it's actually something that's meant to be uh robust and resilient i'm sorry i did not mean to interrupt but you were just making so many good points and i, I want to like touch on some of them but then you make another great point and i'm like oh but then you make another good point so <laughs> just want to grasp that I one i just
0: want to say you know it's like you blow up one emperor and then forevermore, you're the, you're the blowing up the emperor people, you know, yep. or, exactly. or whatever, whoever it was, you shoot mm-hmm. one person and start world war one. And then it's the anarchists forever. They're to blame. Go ahead. Amanda.
2: I just want to uh, jump in there and say, you know, cause in the beginning of, of this feel and, and throughout it, you made the point that people are afraid of what democracy could truly be and, and participatory, mm-hmm. uh, participatory, participatory democracy. Um, and that's because obviously we have our belief systems and our ideologies uh, that polarize us and and make us believe that there's no way that we could unite on some kind of common ground that we could uh, actually, um, uh, you know, have a truly communal way of living. Uh mm. And so in a mindless society, getting back to the very first question that, that Nathan had for us, that's another thing that um, is like a, a beacon of light for me when it comes to to the whole concept of mindless society is the fact that we won't be so polarized and be grasping, uh, you know, these belief systems that inherently make us perceive each other as a competition or a threat. Uh, and, and in doing that, you inherently remove the fear that somebody could you know, make a bad decision for everyone. And again, with projecting what our fears are away from what we're actually living right now, that's exactly what's going on with our political system uh, in our corporate system is these people that are in place making the decisions that affect everyone are making the wrong decisions. Obviously, every decision they make is anti-life and it's for profit. And that's it's as simple as that. So once we have a participatory democracy in place, what we will also inherently have is the opportunity to educate and, and produce competent people who are skilled to make decisions about life and about community.
3: It makes the necessity for it. I think that, you know, you all touched on so many different points, um, but I think the key thing to understand is the idea that, you know, we're the freest, we think that we're the freest people in the world living in America, but then the very structure is the very system that we're forced to live in eight hours a day is, um, you know, it's, it's a master slave relationship. Tyrannical. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. tyrannical. Exactly. Um, and it's insane how we think that, or if we could just free the people, free those each free each of those individual cells and get them to unleash their democratic power, Then it makes this unstoppable, which is something that I've been seeing in my own uh, job, you know, Um, as I've been kind of working with people and trying to make change, I've, I've seen that, you know, I'll talk to them and, and we'll be talking about how we can make changes or, or this would be a great idea, you know, like we can change this process to improve this thing. And and there are, but then at the end, they're like, we gotta get approval from the top. But I always say, no, actually, if we're on the same page and we all understand what we need, we're the ones that do the actual work every day we understand the ins and outs of all of these processes and we know how to change it so if we're on the same page we come to them with a clear plan and we've already implemented it and we're asking for forgiveness not permission they have no choice but to concede it's insane how many changes i've already made and and seen what we can do just by changing their ideas in that frame one of the most key factors is or what's kind of i guess inspiring to me uh the founder of my company um, he gave me this book called uh, "Start with Why" by Simon Sinek. I don't know mm. if you've heard of it.
1: I've heard that. I've heard of that book. So, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. It's 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 pretty good. Simple message. Um, you just with the title alone, you already know. Start <laughs> with why, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, then the rest of the book is just him jerking off Apple and uh, you know saying how amazing they are or whatever. <laughs> but uh, the the core concept is wonderful. It's amazing because it really teaches us to rally around a why rally everyone you need to lead around what we need to do what we're doing but in a business environment they always want to shadow or cloak the why they don't want us to know the actual why of make profit so they'll say look we're actually providing some sort of service or some sort of solution right we're providing this this or that and that's the true why but in truth if there's no profit being made then it's all impossible so that's something i'm really trying to get people to understand, and. And if we can get people to understand about a moneyless society of having like a new why and that why is to take care of each other, then it's gonna happen. We're all gonna be on the same page. We're all gonna figure out how to take care of each other and we'll all have the same shared goal. Yeah, which is something I love. It's, uh, I'll move over to you, Matt, but um, I just wanna pose this question to you first. Um, Something we were talking about is, money's relationship to freedom and how we think we're free because of money but something that i've uh you know i was was talking to my father-in-law about moneyless society and he was kind of like yeah i get it it might be valuable but i i don't really want to be dependent on the farmers in my area and i he's like that's why i like money because it makes it so i can be Mm self-reliant and i was just No, you're not self reliant. In fact, you're still dependent on farmers. You're just dependent on in a new way. And money has like, created this wedge between us and made us think that we don't need each other. So my question is, what is money's relationship to freedom? Does it actually make us more free? Or does it make us less free?
1: Yeah, um, well, to answer your question, I think it definitely makes us less free in general. I mean, the entire capitalist system, if you're, you know, if we talk about the system in general, we're kind of slaves to the system because everything has been commodified at this point, you know. And, and that's the problem is we can't really seek out the things that we need on a daily basis to survive without having money. And so we're kind of a slave to money in the sense that we need money to survive in the current system. Now, on the other hand, if you're talking about actually having money itself, then sure, money equals freedom, right? <laughs> you know, and so there, there's kind of two sides of the coin that you can look at it like that. So if you, I mean, if you're Elon Musk, you have one of the, you know, probably one of the most, uh, you know, freest people in the world simply because he can afford to do practically anything that he wants right um but on the other hand you know just the capitalist system itself i find very restrictive uh you know because it's tethered to the profit system and that's why you know like you were saying earlier i mean it's not it's not like the the republicans or the democrats neither one can really Implement the solutions that are necessary to solve our problems because the profit mechanism holds it all back. You know, it's doomed from the start because it's all beholden to corporate interests. And that's and that's the problem is the corporate interests are the ones who fund the campaigns. And, you know, even if they weren't the ones who would fund the campaigns, there would probably be some sort of other rules or regulations that they benefit from because that's essentially how the capitalist system works, and they rig it that way on purpose. It protects property rights and the rights of you know, the wealthy to essentially exploit, you know, the workers to make the wealthy even wealthier. And that's just essentially, you know, how the system works and how it's been set up over the course of hundreds of years. Um, Another point that I wanted to make too, with your, uh, like you were saying, with goals, uh, it's kind of interesting. It's, It's not to say that, you know, there, there is no goal of whatever product you are selling and offering. I mean, companies can have multiple goals and, and you know, they, they can have a goal of making a profit. They can also have a goal of, say, increasing public health. They can have a goal of, say, paying their workers well. They can have all these goals. But the problem is, as we run into this archetype and in systems thinking, this is something else I've described in the book a little bit. It's it's an archetype called conflicting goals. And, and herein lies the rub because you, a lot of the time, these goals do conflict, right? What is often most sustainable is not often the most profitable, right? Take, you know, take a bus ride is often, you know, a bus ride on a green bus run by, you know, uh, renewable electricity would often be the most sustainable, but the most profitable thing is if everybody, you know, and their mother owned owned an SUV and drove a heck of a lot every single day, right? And these, you find this pattern, where these goals are at odds with each other. And since the companies are dependent on the profit system and and nobody can survive essentially without some sort of income, the profit trumps the other goals essentially all the time if the company wants to survive. And that's that conflicting goals archetype is the profit ends up being more important than sustainability, it ends up being more important Than paying the workers well. It ends up being more important than this or that, the other, because without the profit, the company simply doesn't survive. And that's the unfortunate dynamic that creates these feedback loops of the profit just being more and more important. Whatever profitable and ventures we have, they keep being developed and keep being developed and keep being developed while everything else just goes by the wayside and doesn't really get as much you know, time and attention or resources or investment because the profit motive simply doesn't reinforce that. And, and that's that. and that's that archetype that keeps repeating and one of the many archetypes that keeps repeating in society that produces these very destructive feedback loops with the externalities that we're seeing today. And um, so I just wanted to touch on that. It's, and, and, and that's kind of a false dichotomy that I hear a lot with people saying, oh, you know, uh, it's, you know, this goal, this company just has the goal of making profit and they don't care at all about this. Well, a lot of the time, you know, that's not true. They do care. It's just not the, the our, our capitalist system has that conflicting goals archetype inherent to it. And it's very, I, I haven't seen a solution to it except eliminating currency and trade, you know, altogether and, and the you know, the system in its entirety, basically restructuring from the ground up. So just kind of wanted to throw that in there. Um, that's kind of what I've found through the lens of systems thinking. And um, yeah, that's about yeah, it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Marlo, Marlo you, had, you had something. I was just
0: going to say, you know, the, the epitome of that uh, contradiction lies in the so-called conscious capitalist or the green capitalist. Mm-hmm. And I think about a lot of people sharing the Patagonia CEO, you know donating his company to the planet which really meant he just you know um, retained control of his company you know got a massive tax write-off and um, you know gotten an, an enormous price. amount of free publicity for his billion dollar company and so you know it really epitomizes the fact that if you really wanted to do what was best for the environment you know this system of endlessly expanding growing you know, even at some kind of steady state, which is what Patagonia has tried to be at, they've tried to not grow their profit, they tried to, you know, keep it at the same place. Basically, you know, the value and the strength of the stocks that maintain these companies on the, you know, S&P 500, on this stock market, which is this crazy fucking techno algorithm monster god that we filter all decision-making through in the least, you know, democratic manner that, you know, t- less than 10%... Uh, less than, sorry around 80 90 percent of stocks are owned by less than 10 percent of the population i mean that that speaks to the larger absurdity that one percent of the of the planet can you know uh, controls 99 percent of its wealth i mean we've been saying these words for decades now and people are still dancing around it not even talking about the solution to inequality which is equality no one's talking about that no one has has even suggested that we could live in an equal system but we have this problem of inequality that Bill Gates and all these people talk about. We need to address inequality. Just just unpack the word, my friend. Take the in out of it. That's the solution, to make people equal. And so, you know, these well-meaning capitalists, who I genuinely believe mean well, I genuinely believe they actually do care, as Matt was saying, about the environment, about workers. But they are so in the box of the rules of the game, the market game, that they have given it precedence over the real world over the laws of physics of science of actual ecology and they you know will blind themselves you know like this eclipse of their logic and reason to not see that this system depends on continual deforestation exponential deforestation it can it, it depends on exponential energy use which currently is fossil fuels you know and there there are not viable alternatives to continue, Growing the economy even with all the renewables in the world. We cannot continue extracting and burning and you know pumping and chugging and fucking and You know spending and consuming at this rate that we are we cannot do it We will exhaust the earth no matter what even if we had cold nuclear fusion today and Limitless energy was flowing through us. We would just be powering the death machine of the economy whose Mm -hmm. fundamental structural goal is to support those people who have the chips. I mean, it's, it's it's very simple, it's very crazy. And I think that to sort of flip that over in this sort of thread of the things that people are afraid of are the world we live in today. You know, oh, what if AI and artificial intelligence was controlling everything and it was, you know, rapidly destroying life on earth and making people crazy on purpose to get them clicking more so that they can you know uh spell you know be more effectively targeted with ads and you know what if what if um you know artificial intelligences were deciding the fates of elections and you know deciding where all our resources go and you know keeping people in slavery and destroying the world and never that's what's happening now and you know in thinking about solutions we we have to use the tools of this destructive force the tools and the technologies that for better or worse, regardless of, of, you know, people will say that tech capitalism created all this technology. Well, I will say human beings did that. Collaboration and creativity and inspiration, which has always been and always will. And the serial process of human beings stacking ideas on top of each other. You know, Steve Jobs did not invent the iPhone. He did not invent, the, because if he invented the iPhone, he would have to invent the personal computer, which he would have to invent DARPA net. He would have to invent the light bulb. He would have to invent the circuit. He would have to invent all of these other things that were gifted to him that we inherited the information the knowledge the technology the science of the generation before us and that's what we're standing upon and so in conceiving of a moneyless society it is very fa- a far cry in my appraisal although it can be scaled in many different ways and forms and levels of sophistication and simplicity and technology is that we can use you know the technology of learning machines and you know better calculations of computing and Processing and dispersed open source feedback systems that are run by the people saying here's the supply, here's the demand, you know, creating a much more sophisticated technological system that is not hindered by this 16th century at the youngest system. Or yeah, it's like I mean, we we have we have been living in this cultural lag and this. You know, brutally pr- primitive mercantile system of trading and bartering, of people slapping fish on a piece of newspaper and giving someone a coin for it. Like that is the extrapolation of our whole system. Only we have AI and nuclear, you know, <laughs> technology and nanomachines who are running that process. And so, in the interest of shifting toward how do we create something new, well, we use the technology that we have, doofus, and we use it for good. We change the program. <laughs> We change our social media networks from being privately run uh, psyops, operations, giving us all mental illness and driving teenage girls to kill themselves and toppling third world foreign governments. And we use that social technology that allows us to communicate with each other. That's getting trillions and of tr- trillions and trillions and trillions of bits of data, of feedback and information on the you know, availabilities and the supply and the demand and the Feedback and the human health and the happiness and all these metrics that we can measure objectively, you know Just through people saying I'm feeling like this. Hey, my name's Marlo I'm fucking depressed because I live in a world where everything costs money, you know, like that's feedback That's data that can be coalesced into a process of actually economizing the scarce resources in the world the things that really are scarce because we don't live in infinite abundance but if we live in a system that is based upon actual need, that is simplifying these processes as much as we can, that is optimized continually for the betterment of the, of the whole, the individual is going to benefit ultimately more than they would in this current system. Elon Musk is still a slave. He works fucking 80 hours a week. You're going to tell me that guy's free? He's just like a slubby, like goblin-looking, out of shape, unhealthy, like Donald Trump would eat a uh, oh God, I'm just, I'm vomiting thinking about this. He would get his uh, staff with his infinite resources to go get him a, a, a fucking cheese pizza from Pizza Hut and he would peel the cheese off and just eat that with, no, with a Diet Coke, you know? Like that's a slave. That person is enslaved to their own game, to their own logic, to their own quality of life that is just absolutely shattered by their addiction to this gambling casino reality.
3: Hmm yeah you know there's a lot there's a big point that you made in there about how the the people that we think are the most free or the most benefited from the system are also subject to the rules of the game and you know too many people think that this the game or the rules or the system and the structures are just some neutral force and that it's just h- like human will that creates good or bad within those systems um but it's insane how they don't even realize that they're totally subject to the rules of the game and that those rules can affect like what's good and bad. But if we can collectively, you know, decide and are awakened to that and say, Hey, if we're going to be subject to the rules of a system, let's all be on the same page about it. And let's at least say like, Hey, maybe the things we want to be subject to is taking care of each other. Because I know that if everyone's taken care of, I'll be taken care of too. It's these weird little, like, mindset shifts it, it seems so little at least to me this like flip switch of hatred or kindness you know um maybe it's hard and difficult to make in the moment but over time it's really going to be a simple mindset mindset shift that revolutionizes everything i love hearing that or i love hearing you guys talk about how we've got to work within the system as it is to create something new because um, that brings me to my next question which is you know, when I talk to people about uh, building a moneyless society, they're like, um, "What are you going to do? Cut off the heads of all the capitalists, or something like that? Look how that worked out in France, or whatever." You know, um, I, I think that, I think that you know, we have to build something new within the sy- within the old system, but we also have to create an alternative so that the old system can crumble. But I'm curious about what you think. You know, do you guys think? Do you guys foresee a need to tear down the monetary structure? Or do you think it'll erode itself um, once we build a new alternative? Amanda, let's uh, start with you.
2: Um, let's see here. That's a great question. And obviously, there's a lot of um, very elevated opinions about that, very emotionally charged op- opinions um, that come from a lot of different walks of life and isms. You know, you have your communisms, your anarchists. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you're socialist and whatnot and um aside from the anarchists the the communists and the socialists would say you know we can just work with what we've got here and just tweak it a little and it'll and it'll be great it'll be enough um mm-hmm. as jock fresco would say that doesn't go far enough uh, we've definitely got to completely do away with the system that we're dealing with now that's why it's called systems change that's why it's called systems thinking you create a system that obsoletes the old one as matt would say and has written i'm sure um and and that's actually how I came to know that that terminology, um, the whole concept of obsoleting money and going forward and building a system that doesn't utilize it at all whatsoever. So I mean, short answer, yes, we've we've got to do away with what we're dealing with now, like completely but do we have to like destructively burn it to the ground in order to move forward I feel like is part of that question or at least implied and that's where a lot of different opinions come into play Uh, you know we have the incremental change uh, that that's taking place now um, where people are starting to get on the bandwagon of the concept of that we can live without these um, without these paywalls and and uh, certain systems that we're dealing with um, but that doesn't seem to be making change quick enough in order for us to avoid uh, ecological and economical collapse. So then you have the opinion that we should just, you know, whoever can just take hold and make it happen. But then, of course, that completely defies the whole point of helping people to realize these things for themselves. If they just take what we say for granted and say, okay, they have the answers, let's just follow them and do what they say to do, then they're still not getting it. There, and, and, you know, and and that's how we would end up regressing and failing because the people did not learn for themselves from um, an inter or on an interpersonal level that the way forward is to, you know, say, OK, we, we've got to be a community. We've got to be a global community and we've got to do things differently and we've got to do things regeneratively and we've got to do things rationally so we can move forward. Uh, but if I could just back up a little bit, really quickly, and point out something I think is very important to highlight when it comes to does money equal freedom? And Matt was talking to how profit is so revered, and if you take that and turn the scope around a little and look at it through a laborer's perspective, um, the working class perspective, obviously income is what is revered, and it just speaks to how basically. Our freedom of movement is directly tied to our income, obviously, our purchasing power and whatnot. And that's why, obviously, so many people equate uh, freedom to their income or to money itself. But obviously, at the root, money is a restrictive mechanism, or we wouldn't need it to get the things that we want and go the places we want to go and have the experiences that we strive to have. So I just want to throw that in there really quick.
3: Yeah, I love that. I mean, that's a, that's a really good point. I I think it is an interesting like uh, distinction that has to be made. Like when when we say that money is freedom, because uh, it was just like Matt was saying. Like, yeah, maybe Elon Musk is more free than a worker, um, but it, it it that profit versus income is is an important distinction.
1: Um, sorry, Matt, were you were you gonna say something? Um, no, I I could I could definitely. Uh... Uh, talk about your question though. Can you can you just say what the question was one more time? You're we basically talking about yeah, trans transitioning, yeah, essentially.
3: Yeah, and I guess the 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 eat I, I the like rich. to <laughs> yeah eat the rich. That's it. <laughs> I like to make dichotomies a lot of the time. I'm always like, is it this or this? Sure, yeah, sure. It's often both, but like the main question is like, will we have to destroy the monetary structure, right. or will it destroy itself once we build a new alternative? Right, right.
1: Yeah. Um. I mean, I think I think it'll kind of end up more more or less uh, imploding on itself eventually. But it needs to kind of be a controlled thing, also, and and kind of planned in the process. Because if we just kind of let it happen haphazardly, then it's probably going to be pretty messy, and it'll probably piss a lot of people off, and it'll probably kind of turn out to be an ugly thing. So the more the more open and democratic you can be, and plan, and you know, actually having planning and Contingencies for things and whatnot, you know, and uh, backup plans, the more things like that you know, you can try to take into account the better, the better transition it'll be. Um, What I outline in my book is kind of, you know, just trying to get a network of cooperatives together, essentially. So each cooperative would kind of uh, end up handling different aspects of daily life. Like one cooperative might end up handling transportation, another one for agriculture, another for housing, another for, uh, you know, like clothing and things like that. And eventually, once there's enough cooperative businesses kind of working together, you can start providing providing the members of those cooperatives with universal basic goods and services, right? And that would stand in direct opposition to like universal basic income. I'm sure a lot of us have heard of the term universal basic income, like through Andrew Yang and, you know, the whole last presidential election, all that. It's the idea was kind of starting to get thrown around a lot. Um, But we're just like, well, you know, we don't need the currency. Let's just start giving people directly what we need, like we were saying earlier. And um, it would kind of, it would be a transitional thing. At first, you know, throughout these cooperatives, people would still be earning salaries and, you know, getting an income and things like that. But in the long run, the goal is to phase out, oops, sorry, hit my mic here. The goal is to kind of phase out, uh, you know, incomes essentially to where you're paying people f- and, and they have to buy everything they need to phase out that maybe you know certain things one at a time or whatever and then to phase in you know giving people things for free to where they just essentially don't need that income anymore and you know how exactly that would work is like like a lot of other things we've been saying kind of up for debate and discussion but that's kind of the general idea you know to to have one system phase out while the other phases in and at a certain point we'd really want to have a lot of this kind of figured out before you know, the, the old capitalist system kind of implodes in itself or collapses, you know, because there's probably a certain point where that system isn't really going to have the activity or the growth that's necessary to keep sustaining it. And then it may collapse. You know, I mean, these are, these are tricky, economic, complex situations that we're talking about in the future that we don't even know, you know, we're all, this is all speculation, right? And so, essentially that could happen at some point. And, you know, my train of thought is, is it's best to try to figure out as much of this beforehand and put as many of these systems in place beforehand that could handle, you know, an economic collapse of some sort, or at least an economic collapse of the capitalist system, you know, so, so we could kind of quickly transition a bunch of people over from the capitalist system to a moneyless society without there being, You know, a lot of heartache and bloodshed or, you know, and unnecessary violence or even things like that. You know, we want it to be really a voluntary thing, too, that we present ideas and you're like, hey, you could try this. (laughs) You know, there's people over here and it's working great. Check these out. Check out how happy everyone is and everyone's thriving. You know, you want to come over for dinner, please. (laughs) You know, and and, and so we're trying to create these communities and show people, you know, hey, man, this, this stuff really can work if you're open minded what whatever you call it whether it's socialism or communism or a moneyless society or resource based economy trying to kind of get over all the isms and exactly what it is or isn't but really just kind of focus on the outcomes of the things that we want to happen you know we want you know, systems that deliver abundance through technology and sustainability and cooperation. And we could write, you know, dissertations on exactly what to call each of these little individual experiments and and everything like that. But it's not necessarily so important. The name what's important is what they do and and their outcomes and 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 also just, you know, the opinions of everybody involved, uh, whether people are actually happy with these things or not, you know, and that's, and that's kind of really the goal is to make something that people are happier with, Mm. you know, and then people will voluntarily come over. So I think I'm kind of starting to repeat myself now on that whole thing. So I'll go it just ahead sounds and like you're talking over.
2: about getting people to come over to the dark side. <laughs> yes. We'll make the thing that people want, and they will That's come what, over to the dark right. side for it.
1: Resistance is futile.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, a, I'm actually uh, advocating a system I call double capitalism. Nice it's capitalism, but there's no money. It's not competitive. There's no hierarchy. Ooh, um, everyone can. The price. There's still prices on everything, but it's all zero. The wages are also zero. Mm. Nice. There we go. Um,
2: Just make it look familiar. It's
0: it's not based on on extraction. There's no growth. (laughs) Right. Uh, It's a steady state system. It sounds realistic. Um, It's still capitalism, though. It's still capitalism. It's still a free market. (laughs) Everyone's an entrepreneur. Everyone. Um, That's right. (laughs) it's, It's basically everyone is a boss. It sounds like when the
2: Catholicism tried to convert all the pagans, you you can still
0: do these things and,
2: you know, dance around the fires and stuff, but you have to do it on this day and you have to do it in the name of this person versus whatever that guy was, you know,
0: capitalism. We're capitalists. No, I think that, uh, the existing system is going to collapse and is collapsing right now and has been collapsing for 400 years for all peoples at the margins because it is an explosive thing, like a rocket engine that burns everybody beneath it that is lifting it up to get it up into the, into the air. Uh, and I think that there will have to be conflict, obviously. And I think that only the people can decide that. Only the people can handle that. And I look to the intelligence of the aggregate, of the crowd of dispersed and decentralized Revolts and movements that have happened all throughout history uh, Spontaneously without some vanguard, you know telling them what to do Coming in and trying to steer them in this direction I think that people need to know where to go. They need to know what the real problems are and what their real enemies are they need to understand How the world works in a very structural way climate activists throwing soup cans at paintings need to understand that you cannot just get off fossil fuels or you will collapse the existing system. And that the real problem here is not just fossil fuels, it's that fossil fuels are driving a consumer cycle and an inane metric of GDP, gross domestic product, which is a measure of death. It's a measure of ecocide. And so I think that we will have to stop the burning of the Amazon. We will have to stop the... the, Explosion of bunker fuel that's shooting, uh, you know, freight loads of toys across the ocean, or fucking porno DVDs, you know, made in China, you know, whatever it is, whatever stupid thing it is, it could be, you know, all the luxuries and the non-essential goods and those little those little toys you see at a Mexican restaurants and the little machine where you put the coin in there, that's being made out of oil with ex- explosive high heat and metal and steel and extraction and you know all of this has to stop because of the damage we are doing to the environment is already cooking the planet and you know I I talk to people who say that the emissions we're dealing with the warming we're dealing with that has sunk in whole countries today not tomorrow not in some dystopian future we're in a dystopian present I read today that 30-something counties out of 30-something counties in, I believe, Nigeria, are underwater. The country of Pakistan is still underwater. There have been no recompense made. That's happening today, and it will happen here. It will happen everywhere. We will see cascading true system failures. Not our little fun money system failing and a bunch of humans running around with their heads on fire. We're going to see real systems failure of the ecosystems of our planet collapsing, of the web of life coming apart and fraying and ceasing to produce. Not produce bullshit, Xboxes, hot dogs, whatever it is, but to produce life. Trees stopping producing oxygen. You know, the oceans warming, acidifying, cooking crabs in their shells. That's happening right now. And if we don't stop that process, um, we don't, we don't have a future. And so I think ultimately questions about how and when and why and do we, you know, bust out the guillotine and flip the tables over, I think those conversations are ultimately futile and wasteful and uh, woefully naive. A lot of them are based upon wish fulfillment. I have been in the revolutionary and the activist spheres and the political spheres for the better part of a decade now, and I've interacted with all the factions and all the people And i've read all the theories and i've I've read a lot of the books and the and the schools and danced with the isms and i find a lot of people are simply hurt and and are not connected to solutions they're not connected to what the world on the other side of that could look like and must look like they're not really adapting and responding to the needs of the planet you know your duality of do we do this or do we do this right now we are reacting to everything that's happening we are reacting in a A way where people do not have free will. I don't believe they have free will. I think it's very rare to see a free choice made because people have been conditioned from birth and given a set of triggers, like controls in a video game, that uh, stimuli in their world around them and sympathetic reactions in people around them and advertisements and all these things trigger in them. And it sends us into these sort of traumatic loops of behavioral scripts where we're reciting lines, you know, and just basically going through the motions. We're reacting to everything. Everything is a reaction of a reaction of a reaction of a reaction. There's very few responses and we have to be that response. And I think to be as Martin Luther King said, the, to, to tap into the creative maladjustment of a non-conforming minority is to create something that uh, gives people a platform to actually think clearly and actually prefigure and imagine and connect with what an alternative system is we have to get people out of this existing system so we can actually think and talk about this on a large scale because three people on a fucking zoom call cannot plot the revolution cannot say for sure what's going to happen and how it needs to go down and i wouldn't trust any three people in any you know uh, screen to do that
3: Damn, I was
2: really Only counting people. on you guys. I hate to burst your bubble, <laughs> but we don't have all the answers. Everyone has the answers though, and collectively we can put them together, you know, put all those pieces together and move forward and make it happen.
3: Yeah, I love that. And you know, I I appreciate you kind of calling out the the futility of, of these like, well, is it this or that? Which one do we do? Cuz um, you know, that's something I've I've been very mired in and and kind of struggling with, but and I I found that and now that you bring it up, I I found that really the only way that those questions begin being useful is if we meet people where they're at with a level of understanding to see like what kind of reactions are they subject to on a daily basis what kind of um what kind of situations are they just trapped in that we need to be able to understand in order to like love them and to collaborate with them and move forward Um, because you know I I could just I mean I pose the question to people kind of all the time it was like oh well do you think we should all have to change individually first do you think we need to do systems change and and you're right there is a futility there because at the end of the day they could say well I think it's this and then nothing happens because because they're still trapped in both regardless uh, Amanda, you are going to say something?
2: I was just going to say, um, when you're talking about meeting people where they're at, uh, because this episode is going to air to your audience, the Kindness Rebellion audience, and, mm-hmm. and they may or may not be very well acquainted with certain post-scarcity terms and uh, this moneyless society concept, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. I'll repeat myself here because I've mentioned this in previous episodes uh, several times the term technical communication, which was derived from um, the teachings of Jacques Fresco and the Venus Project. Uh, and an example in which it would be useful would be to apply it to what Marlow was describing and how we have got to stop, uh, you know, a deforestation. We've got to stop the things that are flooding countries. Um, and we have to basically slow down our rate of consumption in order to do that. And what that is in essence is degrowth, but that threatens people's belief systems and causes emotional reactions that are nearly impossible to mitigate. Because, like we were mm-hmm. saying earlier, how our freedom is directly linked to our choices, and our choices in this system are directly linked to consumption. So that's a bit of a rabbit hole. But when you're talking about meeting people where they're at, it's uh, it's d- definitely a challenge to introduce these new concepts and talk to people about our options. Uh, as far as, uh, you know, uh, making sure we don't uh, die and everything doesn't collapse, because Mm -hmm. people are just so fervently and emotionally tied to the conditioning and subsequent triggers, as Marlo mentioned, um, Mm -hmm. that they think that the world cannot be any different. And if we try to make it different, it's going to make it worse. But yeah, yeah, I just want to throw that out there.
3: Yeah, that's a that's a difficult thing that I've been running into a lot. It's there's just like, well, if you try to, well, you know, and that's the frustrating thing about having this kind of revolutionary mindset anyways. Right. Is As soon as we start talking to people about like, we can change the world, we can do it. They're like, well, let me bring up all the potential problems that could happen as mm-hmm. if like, that's the, and then, you know, and then they're like, the Oh, you don't have the answers
2: often. to all those potential problems. Mm-hmm. Then what you're doing is fallible and you should just hang it up and get back to work. You know, yeah, exactly. That, that's it's
3: useless. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Which is frustrating because obviously we we're. We're more of a mindset of like we can do better. That's it. Like we can do better. It's not going to be perfect, but we can do better. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's something that, you know, I think people can get on the same page on as long as as, you know, we as the people that are trying to, you know, create this change are willing to come to them and 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 interact with them in a way that's like I understand the fear you have. I understand the way you're feeling and I understand the situations you're subject to. And I think that like the only way to to heal those is together. That's the only way to do it. Um, one thing that you uh, both Marlo and Amanda brought up is is the need for uh, a, a massive reduction in consumption and the uh, the emotional reaction that comes as a result of it. That's I feel like that's one of the hard, the biggest problems. And I don't know if that's something that's simply going to you know as like. As we start building more resilient communities, we'll just see like, oh, there's no need for Wendy's or McDonald's. Those collapse on their own. So we don't have to try and convince people to stop eating it or to reduce their consumption. But you know, at the end of the day, like we there are a lot of things that we just have to stop doing. And I think that's something that I've really struggled to to work with people on is like like we just got to stop doing this. We got to stop doing that. We got to start doing this. I'm kind of curious how how each of you tend to go about those those kind of transitions and those kind of conversations, um, you know, in your own lives. Yeah, man.
2: I keep start. being eager because I'm having one of those days where I'll forget what I'm thinking. So thank you for letting me be uh, <laughs> borderline disruptive. Um, right. One of the things I like to do when people meet me with pushback as I am describing what it could be like in a society where we don't have to say depend on fast food restaurants, I like to try and walk them through uh, a day and what an alternate world or society might look like. And so, obviously, people will be like, Well, I like my Chick fil A, don't take my Chick fil A. You know, Chick fil A's life, Chick fil A's Bay, or whatever. And, um, I'm like, but what if you didn't have to work 10 hours tomorrow and rely on somebody getting paid uh, less than a living wage to hand you your lunch out a window and never see that person again or care about that person or know where that food come from or, or care whether or not it's healthy for you. Like, yeah, Chick-fil-A is great or whatever, but like you could have a chicken meal at home if you want, if you're not working your life away, you know? Well, um, you could, how, how, how... Have a- yeah, go ahead. You could
0: also have a fully automated restaurant that can produce many different kinds of food, exactly on the available foods that you have in your region. With a a vertical garden on the rooftop, and uh, you know, a, a food algorithm that is connected to the available nutrients and or sorry ingredients and things that that are being produced in your local area. You could bring in your own food, and and you know, with a little bit of you know creative finagling and technical development and applying these problem solving technologies to the actual problems of our time. You know, we could get to the point where a restaurant is fully automated. You can even bring in your own ingredients and say, "Hey, cook me this." You could give it a video of you cooking your own food the exactly the way that you like it. It could cook you your fucking grandmother's spaghetti the way you <laughs> like it, you know. Yeah. And it it could it could have algorithms that automatically say, "Oh, okay, we don't have uh, arrabbiata uh whatever peppers." You know, but we have this thing that can immediately substitute it. You know, we can just create a much better, more efficient system of doing all these things that a moneyless society doesn't just necessarily mean, you know, uh, you all live in a community and everything that happens off of that community is, you know, uh, the the old world. I mean, when we tap into our imagination and start to actually think, okay, what would a world, a degrowth world, a world where we're consuming less bullshit and we're actually free to think and educate ourselves and we're using automation as much as we can you know, in the much more simplified formula, formulations than in the current system with these extremely um, inefficient, resource-intensive, wasteful um, supply chains where we're using this technology on a local basis to create a better system and just a better system. It's not, it's like we will consume less resources in ways that I think will be largely invisible to most people because you would be able to access, you know, the same amount or even more food because, you know, okay, we are living in a a local region producing uh, food, which goes bad eventually. So it has to be eaten. And so, you know, grocery stores today waste half of their food just because somebody can't pay for it. And they put locks on their dumpsters and sometimes they have security guards so that people who don't have houses, who can't access housing, even though there's an abundance of housing already, you know, inefficient, poorly designed housing, but whatever, um, can't access that. And so we are living in a system that if we needed to transition rapidly, we could even use the existing bad infrastructure to produce an abundance of things to get people through the bottleneck of redesigning all of these apparatuses of, the, of meeting our needs. And, you know, we could have very fast, efficient public transit works better than the existing system, take all those cars and recycle all that metal and all that energy and all that you know, fuel and, and all that shit house infrastructure. This just terrible, terrible design of our society that just drains us of so much time, our greatest resource, time, energy, you know, brain power, education. So degrow, degrowth means all the bullshit jobs, cut them. Everything that's not necessary for the meeting of our actual needs, cut it. Everything that we can automate, automate it everything that we can just completely reduce or eliminate get rid of it you know consolidate our transportation system into something that works reduce the amount of track, tra- you know going back and forth through our inefficient infrastructure anyway that people need to do give people the time and the energy and the access to the resources to educate themselves to do whatever they want to do to actually benefit society and this will precipitate a massive leap forward in innovation and a massive leap forward in the amount of care the amount of time that we have to spend with each other to, re- to think about all this stuff. That's mm-hmm. what a degrowth world means. It doesn't just mean you keep living your shitty life that sucks anyway and your cheeseburger gets cut in half. That's a Amen. really childish, stupid thing. <laughs> and I want to push back real quick on that because uh, these MAGA communist dickheads are... Um, that's a thing, sorry. It, I, it's I, such I, a contradictory first, in terms. There. Um, but there's, yeah, there's a bunch wondering. of people out there that are basically like... National socialists. I wonder if there's a, a portmanteau of that word that uh, you know, caused a lot of historical drama. <laughs> Nazis. Um, but yeah, there are these Nazis that are um, basically saying we need to do all this stuff for the working class. And they're saying they're communists, but they're nationalists and they're against immigration. They're really stupid people. But the really dangerous thing that they're doing is waging war on environmentalism and on degrowth in general. And what they're doing is basically just giving these these words that the right wing don't know about yet. And they're, they're you're going to see Fox News talk about degrowth soon you're going to see them talk about this as this thing that they're going to, you know, cut your cheeseburgers in half and you're they're going to make you drive a Fiat and you know all this really stupid, you know, uh just manipulations of what the reality of a de- of a world that is not continually running on a treadmill is going to look like. Whereas in mm-hmm. reality, it's a world where we get to s- just sit back and rest and think about what we did and think That's about right what we can better.
2: When you say treadmill, and that's that's essentially what I try to walk people through is the concept that what if you didn't need to access this thing because you're doing this thing instead? And of course, they're like, well, how can that thing be possible? Then you go deeper into the rabbit hole, like with the example Mm -hmm. of you didn't have to work 10 hours tomorrow, would you need to stop at a fast food place for your lunch and and, and, uh, have a part in that exploitation? And then, of course, the next question is, well, how can't I work 10 hours tomorrow? I have bills to pay. Well, what if... You know housing being it is a human right to have shelter didn't have a paywall in front of it what if you didn't have to pay rent or a mortgage you know and then their mind just starts you can see the they they either completely disassociate or, or a light comes on and you can see it in their eyes mm-hmm. and they're like, tell me more. What if I didn't have to work tomorrow and exploit people in order to do it and be exploited in order to survive, you know? And, and mm-hmm. so anyway, that's my strategy and answer to that question is you just, you've got to meet people wherever they're at, like you were saying, and you've got to mm-hmm. take it step by step with them. What yeah. if, and if this, then that kind of yeah. thing
3: and and like and i'll actually and i love that you say that and i I'm, i might actually challenge you there marlo because i think the 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 idea that it's like all oh, this like the, these are bullshit systems that exist right now and they're they're destructive and they're dangerous as soon as you bring that up they're on the defense you know they they armor up and and they're incapable of understanding us and and understanding what we're trying to do because and and i guess that's the that's the hurdle i'm trying to understand how i how i get past because i do totally believe i'm like all of this is bullshit car culture is so bad for us it's annihilating the environment it's making life a living hell but when i start with that they just immediately like you're crazy i can't listen to you right now i can't i can't i can't even like fathom this and so just the trying to tell them like this is all bullshit this is all fucking insane we need to stop without actually saying that right (laughs) and uh and you know we haven't heard from matt i'm curious to 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 hear what you think about, about that strategy.
1: Yeah. I mean, coming as a person who's had a long sales background, um, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of, uh, it's, it's interesting because people have two main motivators, right? Um, one is pain and the other is pleasure. And, and, uh, you can, you can play on both of those. And it really kind of depends on the person. I mean, you know, from, from a person that's, from a perspective of a salesman, it's 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 about talking to the people and developing a relationship first and foremost, and understanding what is important to people, right? And, and getting to know people, really, it's essentially getting to know what it is they want, their values, their goals, you know, developing a relationship with them. And then kind of, tr- like you said, kind of trying to come at them on their level as well, you know, okay, well, if this is important to you, You know, I mean, if you're if your children's futures are important to you, then I mean, what if this whole climate change thing isn't a hoax? What if, you know, what if there actually might be a good amount of civil unrest in the future and you sat back and you didn't do anything about it? How would you feel about that? You know, or or, you know, if they're if they're, uh, you know, trying. I mean, that's kind of coming at it from the pain standpoint or you could come at it from the pleasure standpoint also. Well, you know, you want your children to have the best sort of future possible what, you know, what if, what if we could provide your children with, you know, free unlimited abundance of healthy, nutritious food in your community? And we could do this, you know, just by, you know, you and your neighbors cooperating together. Is that something that you'd be interested in? And a lot of the time, I think these concepts are easy to, easier to digest in bite-sized chunks, you know, like people know that there are more sustainable systems, but they haven't really wrapped their head around combining all these things to kind of create an an emergent system that is greater than the sum of all of its parts, you know? And so a lot of the time it kind of takes piecing these things together. They're like, Oh, you know, you could do that. Or, yeah, and this system doesn't really work as well. And, and, Oh yeah, that's a good point. I wouldn't want to see that happen, you know? And then, and, and, and it's a lot of the time, it's something that you kind of bite off in small chunks. It's a conversation that happens over time, over multiple instances, and that relationship develops and it grows over time. It's something that usually does not happen overnight. I mean, or in one conversation, it's something that's it's something that's developed over time. It's an understanding that's nurtured and built upon because it's a very complex subject with with dynamic moving pieces, too, that, you know, and they're listening. A lot of these people are listening to conservative news sources and things at the same time that directly you know, chip away at some of these points that we're making, we kind of have to go back and counter some of that at times too. We're like, well, okay, they said that, but what about this? You know, and things like that. And so it's a conversation that kind of happens over time and, and our understanding deepens, you know, and, and, uh, is greater over time as well where, you know, we don't, like we said, we don't have it all figured out, you know, and, and, and I, I like to really kind of foster that open conversation aspect of the whole thing. And I, and I think that's, that's one of the aspects of why, a lot of people really kind of like what we're doing a lot more than a lot of other organizations is because we're kind of willing to admit that we really don't have it all figured out, and we'd like to talk about it. <laughs> what do you think about this? What do you think about this idea? You know, oh, this kind of did work over here, but oh, you have something to say about that too. Let's hear it. you know. and um, and I think a lot of people are open to that just kind of discussion, you know, oriented mindset, well, you know, it might work, it might not work, but let's talk about it and let's dive into the facts, you know, and, and then we'll make our, you know, opinions and decisions from there. And um, and that's the, the personal mindset that I try to have about all of it as well as a, as a mindset of just kind of curiosity and discovery, as well as not really holding on to these ideas you know, with you know a, a clenched fist and being like, "Oh, this is the way it has to be." You know, over over the years, my 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 you know fondness of the of these ideas has only deepened. But that's only because you know I've discovered more and more that's kind of reinforced these ideas, you know, for me. And, and a lot of the time when people do kind of have rebuttals and things, I do my research. I'm like, well, that's a good point. You know, maybe there is something to that and I'll investigate that and I'll get back with you. And, you know, a lot of the time I've done that, here's what I found. We come back and we have these discussions, these conversations. Sometimes I'm like, you know what, you're right. That's a great point. And I don't have anything to combat. Other times I'm like, well, there's this and this, you know, so, so like I said, it's, a lot of it's a discussion it's an evolving thing a lot of the time it's really difficult just to say like here's everything you know hope you change your mind because <laughs> this is this is all i got you which is kind of one of the yeah. reasons why i wrote a book too i mean there's 200 nearly 250 pages of all this stuff it's try tried going over all that in one conversation you know it's <laughs> yeah. it's like it's something that happens piece by piece over time you know and but anyway so that's that's kind of what i've discovered over the years and and one of the methods that i've kind of really found to be most effective in portraying these ideas is bite-sized pieces Mm. you know
3: yeah i love that it's about planting a
0: seed and
1: and
3: mm -hmm. developing that
0: yeah a little bit of of research for you the average american spends 18 days driving per year with an average of eight hours and 22 hour minutes per week so ask Mm -hmm. your friends what would they do with almost an entire month of vacation days or what Mm -hmm. would they do with an entire extra day every fucking week Mm -hmm. you know and just watch them be like yeah i like having my car i have stickers on it like fuck your car that's not your car the <laughs> bank owns it until you until you yes. miss one payment and that's how everything single thing in your house is
1: mm. yeah but
0: i just want to say yeah you, you know getting people to think with their own brain is what you have to do to you can't win an argument you've never no one's ever won an argument all you can the best you can do is plant seeds but you have to get people to to stop just white knuckling it through these pre-programmed responses and this defense of a system. So tell them, you know, say, hey, what would you do with an entire, like, basically an entire month every year that you spend driving? You know, ask them, like, to think about how much time you spend complaining about your regular life. Sack up all that time, all the time that restaurant workers spend complaining about their shitty workplace and the things that are just the way that they are, that I, I find, the majority of americans when they're off work spend their time complaining about work and things related to it we complain about our political system we complain about the environment as if it's something that's just happening or we don't talk about it at all that's much more disturbing that that my generation and people i grew up with do not talk about these things and that's much much worse than them complaining about them but i think that if we can just get people to think in their own mind and ask their own damn questions and to stop just to get them to realize that they've been propagandized to get them to realize that they've been conditioned and that their minds have been stolen from them and that our media apparatus is a weapon is a weapon of consciousness that is that spends trillions of dollars every year you know because I'll include advertising in that to hijack our thoughts and control the things that we think and our associations that is owned our media apparatus is owned by six companies do you think six private co- corporations have our best interest at heart you know it's just like you, there's endless arguments for how stupid the system is. But if you can't get people to step back into their own reality, their own experience of it and question it, it doesn't mean anything. And that's, that's a weird phenomenon that we just kind of have to accept like there's a threshold to which people can imagine things. And I, get, I come back to this a lot that, that the – and I'll, I'll close the loop here that money has taken trust out of society. It is an antitrust ritual that reinforces the fact that I can't trust you to get me back. So um, here's this token, which seems very innocuous, but then you repeat that billions of times every single day. And you think about that like the little Islamic call to prayer every time. You know, you think about that like it's reinforcing this relationship with a god. And it it is a mechanism that has destroyed trust in and out of the home. It has destroyed our ability to walk down the street and not assume that someone's going to fucking randomly knife us. Because that's a fear we have. And that lack of trust has taken away our imagination. Because if you don't trust, you can't sit comfortably in your own thoughts. You are in a constant state of anxiety. And you know, anxiety, like when I smoke weed and I like get hit with anxiety, I like just turn the dial all the way up and go all the way into it. And that takes me into like going from imagining what other people are thinking about me to like imagining new people and imagining new worlds and things like that. But essentially, this this constricted, stressed out state that we're in all the time because of money, which is the number one cause of stress in 80% of countries, that's a nice little factoid for you. Um, and no one's talking about it. No politician in any of those countries is like, hey, we need to cut the number one cause of stress in all these countries. No one's talking about it. But yeah, um, I'm losing my train of thought here. Uh, yeah, if you can get people to think with their own brain and actually step into that imagination, because that's really what we lack, because there are many, many possible worlds there are many uh, op- options that we have. We are not constrained to one brutal fate, one sword that's going to cleave us into this, this or this, you know, scenario. And as we transition to this society, it will not be a switch. It will mm. not be an iron curtain that blankets us all in moneylessness. You know, it can't be. It has to be something that is dispersed and decentralized, something that is freely interpreted by many, many, many peoples, showing many, many different options and alternatives, and doing it their way. And showing people how much more freedom there is, you know, mm-hmm. we don't have the freedom to. We have the freedom to choose which which landlord we rent from, but do we really have the, the freedom to design our own home? I mean, and that might sound like a, you know a, a, a you know a lot of skills to take on, you know. We do we have the freedom? I just i, I to I, choose our own home here, you know. Mm-hmm. We don't have the freedom to design our world. We have no control over anything that happens to us all the time, except for what flavor of fucking ice cream we choose, and that's a silly thing that. People overlook for some reason. Uh, I'm, I'm just. Well, I'm, I'm running on you're TV speaking the time to the fact that people
2: white knuckle their beliefs and their ideologies because they're so afraid of losing what their definition of freedom is. You know, again, mm. going back to how our purchasing power is directly linked to uh, our perception of freedom, and in order to bypass or head off at the pass a lot of conventional arguments that that I personally encounter, I'm sure the rest of us do too, when we start bringing up these concepts, is to simply say, and as Marlo said much earlier in the conversation, you're projecting your fears onto the solution versus realizing that's the reality you're living. Uh, people are like, well, degrowth sounds restrictive. Degrowth sounds like I won't be able to enjoy that little plastic thing that I get for a quarter out of the machine at the restaurant. Or I won't be able to make that Amazon order and get those, you know, things that I enjoy so much that seem to make life fulfilling or what have you. And, And I think that's one of the biggest struggles is just being able to effectively articulate the benefits because they are nearly inconceivable when you try or I guess that would be the word inconceivable or maybe imperceivable when you try and envision what does a world look like where consumption isn't the driving force but yet is fulfilling how do you describe that right uh But again, getting back to the restrictive nature of the system we are living in now, just reminding people, hey, oh, so I I sense some fear, anxiety in your voice when you say that you don't want to have that thing missing from your life. Well, here's the thing, that thing that, that you don't want to see missing from your life, it is trying and failing at filling a void that could be filled such more, such more, such more, uh, more effectively, I'm sorry. And, uh, and in ways that don't harm you or the environment or your neighbors. And that's the world that we're striving to create. We're not trying to restrict your ass access to the things that you think make you happy. And that probably do make you happy we're trying to help you understand that the system we live in now is inherently restrictive you are restricted from out the gate as soon as you're born there's a bill for you being born and when you die there's a bill for you dying like there's nothing free in this world as it stands right now and that's what we've got to get past and hopefully help people to understand that that's what we're trying to do we're not trying to take from them We're trying to make sure that there is something to have in the future
0: yeah
3: and like i'll, uh, I'll counter Mar- that
0: real quick that oh okay yeah the, the the moments and memories in our lives that are the most precious to us almost never cost a dollar you know mm. it's you know maybe you have that nostalgic trip to disney world as a kid but i mean how much more satisfaction and bliss did you find just playing in the backyard you know going into your own imagination or playing with legos or something that those those were my you know moments of enjoyment And you could say that costs some, so there's some money in there, but it's like, you know, spending time with your family, spending time with your loved ones, having sex, doing drugs. (laughs) (laughs) These things don't, uh, cut that, sorry. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) the best moments (laughs) in life
2: don't cost a thing, right?
0: That's the point. Yeah, that relationships are what bring us meaning. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people may think, well, but I love my Netflix. Think about those people who only have that though. Think about those really sad, lonely people with the RGB keyboards, who I uh, that. only only <laughs> have. Oh, sorry, Amanda. Uh, who only have media, who only have video games, who only have things that money can buy. Yeah. And you look at somebody like Trump or Elon Musk. Do these people really seem happy to you? They seem like they're addicted to drugs on Twitter. Um, you know, just unhappy, complaining never satisfied. It's never enough. That it's a fucking cliche that money does not buy you happiness. Uh, yeah, that it's a, money is a hygiene factor. If you don't have enough of it, you're going to be fucking unhappy. But up to a certain point when your basic needs are met, after you go over that, it doesn't really improve your quality of life. And that's not just you know, what every mystic and person with common sense has said for all time. That's some pretty hard science. There's social science that we've been studying these things that ultimately a lot of all of the things maybe not all of them but most of the things that we are talking about are actually hello based in social science they are in alignment mm-hmm. with what the science and the, the peer reviewed meticulous you know falsifiable uh studies that people have been do- have been doing over the last 100 years you know between now and you know whenever the the big hot thing was communism or whatever it is that people think that we're pushing we are talking about applying science to our system. We are talking about up, upgrading and updating our view of reality with what we can observe tangibly, with what we can repeat tangibly, with all the experiments, with all the study, with all the academic work that is ignored every minute of every day to continue cr- punishing people for crimes and rewarding them for tasks. When we know these things, these these motivations that are the very primal that drive us, that we think, <coughs> that, we think that these are what makes the world go round. When we actually study them, in experiments and when we look at the volumes of data that we have it contradicts every one of them and all the fundamental gravities in our world are false and our narratives are false and our economics is not based in science and our whole system is based upon a, a, a series of lies or half truths or, or untruths and we are working you know to align ourselves with not just some you know moral um, imperative that we must you know, protect the working class and that we must, you know, undo the evildoers. That's not really where we're coming from. We're coming from a very scientific place of being skeptical that all of us here didn't, didn't get picked or didn't pick, uh, mate, pair off, you know, uh, with the ideology. You know, we're not, we're not over here banging one book or one way of thinking. We are actually able to skeptically question our own thoughts and apply them to the rigors of science I oh, that was no. God. Um, I think that was God uh, getting on to me for um, being, um, you know, a little too <laughs> empirical and scientific. <laughs> no Sorry, Lord. I'll get back to uh, flagellating myself and uh, you know, burning little <laughs> candles and things like that for your uh, for your benefit.
3: Well, I I love that, and I'm actually gonna, and I I think we'll we'll start to wrap this up here because this this has been an awesome conversation, and and I I really love all of your all of your insights. And, and I want to let all of you know that I truly do believe that um, each of you are revolutionaries and that we, we are going to change the world. I, I truly believe that. Likewise. And, and it's, thank you. And I think it's hard because, you know, the questions that we've kind of been raising to, today of just like whether we are free or not, is it's it's so complex. And, and and obviously there's so many ways that we're we're not free to the way, free in the way that we want to be and free in the way that we need to be. And yet, I still can't. I still can't deny that it. Like I, we can wake up each day with the mindset that we're going to change the world, and if we do that enough times, we will change it. Um, and so I want. I want to leave our listeners, um, if possible, if God decides to bring Marlo back. Um, <laughs> I want to. I want to leave our listeners with um, just kind of some some action items and some uh, maybe just some comfort and and uh, knowing that. Um, Knowing some ways that that we can begin this change, um, Amanda, let's go ahead and start with you.
2: Awesome. Well, uh, I will refer to what I commonly do, and that is for you listeners to find the courage to look within. It's it actually doesn't take that much. Um, it, it only requires a lot of courage when you start to live what you find inside. Um, but to look within and start questioning and be very objective and honest with yourself well what is it about this moneyless society concept that makes you afraid to embrace it that makes you afraid to speak on it or to um, introduce it to your friends and family or what have you and And then on the comforting side of that, obviously you're not alone in the way that you're thinking. Uh, the things that your gut tell you, uh, the little voices in your head if you will that say, you know what <laughs> I don't want to get up and go to work today. And I don't know why I have to. That's okay. Obviously, a lot of people agree with you at this point in time in, in our history. And uh, you're not lazy. And you're not inferior. And you're not less. You're actually, some would argue, more. And, 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 and inside of you, you have the ability to do more than what you've been uh, subscribed. Uh, you have the ability uh, to realize potentials that are nearly inconceivable And it's okay for you to not want to spend your time clocking in at nine and clocking out at five and making other people rich and giving people the opportunity, uh, other people, the opportunity to destroy, uh, the world that we live in. Uh, so, so if you're thinking outside of that box, it's totally okay. And, uh, we want you to keep thinking outside of that box and realize your potential.
1: Mm, Thank you, Matt. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I think that, um, Amanda is a great uh all great points and i agree with everything um i like to add to just just be curious and open-minded about the whole thing you know and and encourage others to be as well i think that's the kind of one of the main uh things that i see people just apprehensive you know of just kind of opening up to these ideas i think in general and just you know there, there there's so many Negative stereotypes about all, all these things that are kind of circulating around just kind of talking about and clearing the air a little bit saying well there are people doing you know this and this and, you know, there's there's groups of people out there you're not alone, you know, and you can log into our, our Facebook group there's thousands of people in there that are, you know, like minded discussing these topics. Uh, there's books on the subject, there's movies, um, you know, I mean. There's as other far organizations. As, yeah, exactly. There's other organizations that would all love, you know, to have people's help and, and volunteer and support and everything like that as well. Um, Especially ours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and I mean, there's no lack of things to do to, you know, to try to move in these directions, is, whether it be improving, you know, conditions within your community and and reaching out to your neighbors, developing networks and relationships, things like that, you know, trying to just create abundance in your own life and in your community. I mean, essentially, that's what a lot of this comes down to is, is what we're trying to do is create abundance through these systems and our you know, own homes in our communities and, and, and around us. And a lot of that really just starts with reaching out to people, developing relationships, um, and and talking about these ideas, kind of throwing them around and, and, and talking about them, like, you know, maybe, maybe some of this is actually a possibility, but, you know, at least kind of clearing the air. And, and I think that's a really good place to start with all this, because you can't really do much without just even getting these ideas out there first. And, and 90% of the time, a lot of the people just haven't even heard of a lot of these concepts or thought that these things are possible and and I think we really kind of are in the creating awareness stage a lot a lot of the time you know I mean it's nice to you know, want to take action, but you know, we kind of need to gather enough resources and uh, people and support and everything in order to really take significant action. And I feel like we're getting to that point, but it's still probably going to be a little while before we really start to move the needle on some of this. But you know, the more people are aware of it, the more these conversations start happening, uh, the closer we'll be to all of that. And so that's why I really truly appreciate, you know, but. People like yourself, Nate, are doing here with your, you know, kindness, kindness rebellion podcast, and having us on, and, and spreading the word with all this. And um, I think you're doing an awesome job, and keep up the fabulous work. And be happy to come on, you know, again in the future, and do more, more work with you. And really appreciate all the help and support you've given us as, as well for everything too. So mean mean that sincerely, and it Ta-da. means a lot. And yeah, and um, you know, just love it. Love to keep working with you in the future too. I think it's awesome. So thanks again.
3: Mm, likewise, thanks, man marlo send us off i'm just
0: thinking about um a scene that i filmed with my good friend professor jeff cates on a mountain overlooking the city for the film we've been working on and he said um at the end of his class where his uh, students minds have been blown out the side of their head by pretty, pretty inarguable change to their view of history and sociology and the dynamics of human relationships, because he's basically radicalizing his students, you know, with this curriculum as a professional professor. He says, they ask him, what do I do? What can I do about this? And he said, you can't do anything. Only we can do something. Only we can do something about this. And I think that's very powerful and resonant. And I think that like I went to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting the other day, which you know a lot of like critiques with that entity, that system. But I was craving community and connection, and uh, don't drink alcohol. So I figured I'd get it there. I didn't, but whatever. And I was just really upset and taken aback, really, that all these people pulling up their chairs to sit in a circle and be together and have this, and they all spoke of this religious you know, camaraderie and this feeling that they got there, that it saved their lives. And I, I never really got that from, you know, that group because I kind of know like after that little hour of uh, dopamine or serotonin that people get from that, that sense of temporary community, they go back to their individualized lives. They go back to their house in their car and then they go to their job and they experience their problems and don't really question The structure of their society that made them want to dissolve their brain in poison to begin with. You know, it's it's all personal. It's all individual. It's all you. It's all my sickness, my trauma, when we all have trauma, because we're in a soup of it. We're in a a, a traumatizing system, a system that's built upon conflict and competition and scarcity and lack. And so these sicknesses we all deal with and the problems that we experience every single day of our lives are utterly predictable and after a while, I don't feel satisfied scratching the itch of complaining about them all the time. I have to do something about it. I have to think that that, you know, as this beautiful Chris Christopherson song uh, to beat the devil says, you know, if you waste your time uh, talking to the people who don't listen to the things that you're saying, who do you think is gonna care that you that that you could die explaining that the things they complain about are things they could be changing. You know, and that I think about that pretty much every day in some form. That the, the things we bitch about, we can change. We can change them. We can create an alternative system. We can scratch our itch for community and sociality and connection that we seek in bars and clubs and social clubs and, you know, podcasts and Facebook groups and social media and all these things that don't quite hit it by forming permaculture, permanent culture, forming communities, forming collective enterprises where we come together and say, okay, being a person is too fucking hard for one person. It was never meant to be this way. The human being alone in nature is fucking preposterous. If 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 you see a human being wandering alone in nature, they're a killer. That's somebody who's been kicked out of society. Uh, that's not a human being. A human being is a collective enterprise. We are a social organism like an ant. We're not like an ant. We're more than that. Not to say that ants aren't great and amazing and that nature itself isn't this interconnected web of relationships. You know, there is no there is no soul being. There is no individual. Even you yourself are comprised of billions of microorganisms that make up your body. So you don't exist as an individual. And as long as you internalize all this and say, whoa, well, what can I do? You can't do shit. Sorry. And so we have to come together. And we can. And life gets way easier when we share the burden of being alive. And it stops being a burden to put food on the table. What a stupid thing. that we've, we've been human beings for like 300,000 years. And many of us, most of us, do not have it really figured out how to eat food, how to just get like a, the right nutrients in us, you know, and I'm, I'm making a broad generalization because indigenous peoples have that shit way figured out. They're healthy. <laughs> they don't need to go to personal trainers and psychologists and philosophers and alcoholics, anonymous meetings. They don't, you know, devolve into an addictive mass when they touch a poison because they have it figured out as we need to get it together. It's very simple. We need to collectivize. We need to work together. We need to stop thinking about ourselves and our little problems and our little successes and our little struggles and, and grow the fuck up and
3: work together
2: that.
3: <laughs> Thanks, everyone. This, this has been an awesome conversation. I really appreciate all of your time. Yeah, thank you. um, this will happen again. Appreciate you all.
1: Thanks for having us we on, appreciate Nate. It's a night. pleasure.
2: Keep doing what you're doing.
1: Of course. You're great,
3: Nate. Keep it up, brother. Thanks.
1: This is the end of
0: our first season. And um, I just can't tell you how uh, grateful I am to all the guests that we've had. Incredible guests. I, I may have one more episode for you. One more extremely special completely unexpected will blow your mind a mystery guest maybe I don't, know. I don't know i might sit on it i might just sit on it who knows i might i might paywall it so that only our patreon subscribers can listen to it because unfortunately we don't have uh, many patreon subscribers because even though we give and give and give you know and we we're relying on the volunteerism of like making free content and asking people for donations and support. Uh, a lot of people, I guess, can't do it or just won't take the step to just add, you know, tithe 55 bucks a month, you know, uh, or one more, you know, whatever you can give. Uh, we really appreciate it. It really goes to like filling my stomach when I'm editing these episodes and helping me um, remain a full-time activist and not have to debase myself with, um, you know, all the trappings of this civilization. But all of us are working class activists. Uh, we're not we don't have George Soros funding. This is all a labor of love. All of this has been done by a group of very small, devoted people. And if you doubt that a group of a group like that can change the world, don't. Because as Margaret Mead said, that's all that ever has. Join us. Do the things. All right. I, I really gotta fucking go. Goodbye.